recreation and work can mitigate all material pains by practicing the yoga system. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. I want to read the verses for this week, and then we'll discuss. We'll start with text 9 on page 316. A person is considered still further advanced when it regards honest well-wishers, affectionate benefactors, the neutral meditators, the envious friends and enemies, the pious and the sinners, all with an equal mind. A transcendentalist should always engage his body, mind, and self in relationships with the Supreme. He should live alone in a secluded place and should always carefully control his mind. He should be free from desires and feelings of possessiveness. To practice yoga, one should go to a secluded place and should lay kusa grass on the ground and then cover it with a deer skin, skin and a soft cloth. The seat should be neither too high nor too low and should be situated in a sacred place. The yogi should then sit on it very firmly and practice yoga to purify his heart by controlling his mind, senses, and activities and fixing the mind on one point. One should hold one's body, neck, and head erect in a straight line and stare steadily at the tip of the nose. Thus, with an unagitated, subdued mind, devoid of fear, completely free from sex life, one should meditate upon me within the heart and make me the ultimate goal of life. Thus, practicing constant control of the body, mind, and activities, the mystic transcendentalist, his mind regulated, attains to the kingdom of God or the abode of Krishna by cessation of material existence. There is no possibility of one's becoming a yogi, O Arjuna, if one eats too much or eats too little, sleeps too much or sleeps not enough. He who is regulated in his habits of eating, sleeping, recreation, and work can mitigate all material pains by practicing the yoga system. When the yogi, by practice of yoga, disciplines his mental activities and becomes situated in transcendence, devoid of all material desires, he is said to be well established in yoga. Okay, well this definitely counts me out. <laughs> and actually we find later in Bhagavad later in this very chapter, Arjuna says, hold on, this is uh, I can't do this. He tells Krishna, hey, this, is, this is way beyond my capacity. Arjuna, 5,000 years ago, fully disciplined in, in the military arts, uh, Krishna's personal associate, a leader of the world from the very best family. He says, he can't practice this yoga. Later in the chapter... Krishna, I, I, this is not possible for me, this system of Astanga Yoga. What are we to learn from this then? Why, why, why Krishna is presenting such a difficult system of yoga practice that very, very few can ever hope to practice perfectly in this world? Uh, why, does, why is Krishna presenting this? Maybe he's trying to lead to example. 
So he's giving us a perfect example. We notice, if we look, look at these chapters as Krishna is presenting them, he's taking every method, every practice of self-realization, every discipline, sacrifice, knowledge, Sankhya Yoga, and he is, he's, and now here in this chapter, yoga, the practice of Astanga Yoga, controlling the mind and senses by yoga practice. He's taking all of these and he's relating them to Arjuna for the benefit of all mankind. He's relating them in, relate, in such a way that they all culminate in the practice of devotional service, in the practice of remembering Krishna. In, in the practice of fixing one's mind on Lord Krishna. We'll note, when Krishna concludes this great chapter on the practice of Astanga Yoga, that at, the, his, at his concluding remarks, Yogi Namapi Sarvesan, and of all yogis, all the different yogis that practice this, this system, of all yogis, he who fixes his mind on me, he is the most advanced in yoga. He is the highest of all. I want to speak a little bit about the verse and the purport we just read. Yuktahara viharashya. Regulated eating. Regulated recreation. Uh, regulated work. And regulation of uh, sleeping and wakefulness. What's interesting, and we note this as a recurring point that Krishna makes through these chapters where he takes all the different disciplines of the different transcendentalists. <coughs> when he relates instructions, you'll note that again and again, he explains that these various disciplines give one thing as a benediction. All the various disciplines. They give what? A true sense of peace and satisfaction. And here, he also brings up the point that by practicing these things, we can actually, it's a practical thing in life. You can actually live a, a relatively pain-free existence. Mitigate all material pains by practicing the yoga system. Mitigate all material pains. Now, what are our pains? What are our material pains? Their birth, death, old age, and disease. Now, those are not mitigatable. But those other pains, generally in material existence, we become pain. Why? When we over-relate to being this material body. Our pains, our distresses in material existence are created by are accepting the body as the self. Everything that brings us pain, like I have a cold. If I, it, it's pain, it's mucus, it's, it's my head, I got a headache sometimes. It's an inconvenience. Now, how, how am I as a living entity to look at this? I'm definitely suffering. Body is suffering. Now, how much pain and how much am I going to let me that let this cold affect me? If I go on with my service, if I go on with my hearing, my chanting, if I go on with thinking of Krishna, 
all the time, then what inconvenience? It's just the body. The body's going to, it's going to come and it's going to go. In the beginning of Bhagavad Gita, second chapter, Krishna begins that we can't be disturbed by heat, by cold, by pain and distress. Those things have nothing to do with us. They're just the interaction of the modes of material nature. As long as we realize our true spiritual position, we'll not be disturbed. So much so that a perfect yogi is not even disturbed, never even disturbed at the time of death. He's completely fixed in his, his spiritual reality. So that, there's the choice. Is it not? What reality are we going to accept as the self? Are we going to accept the reality of this temporary involvement in the material world as our true self? Are we going to see it for what it is? It's a situation which we are being subjected to due to our past activities. Somehow or other, circumstances have put us here due to our desire. And Krishna is fulfilling that desire. And now, through good association, we've come together, we've been blessed with the mercy of transcendental knowledge through the disciplic succession of Krishna's pure lovers. We've been blessed with this. Now we have the choice. We can either take to this Krishna consciousness seriously and we can advance in spiritual life and give up the miseries and pains of material existence or we can make it a religion. That's basically our choice. That's what I see happening in Ishkan today. We either take and become the yogis that Krishna is talking about here that we actually withdraw our senses. Now, we're not going to be able to withdraw our senses to this level of discipline that's being explained in this chapter of Bhagavad Gita in this unfortunate age of mankind. It is not possible. If Arjuna can't do it, what hope in whatever do we ever have? It's just not there for us. But we can take the essence of the practice of yoga and we can employ that at every moment of our life. And then we can make it our life a success. We can actually become a pure devotee in this life. We can do that much. And what does that really mean? I've been really meditating. What does this mean for us to actually be... It's, there's no material circumstance, there's no arrangement we can make, but we can make ourselves a perfect vehicle for receiving the mercy of the pure devotee, for receiving the mercy of Lord Chaitanya. That's what is referred to as adhikari, qualification. That is really the duty of the aspiring devotee. He is trying to qualify himself to become a recipient of mercy. So therefore, we follow the orders of the spiritual master to qualify ourselves for receiving mercy. We can't determine when the mercy will come, but we can try with all our hearts and souls to, to 
please the spiritual master by following his instructions and thereby, perhaps, if we are greatly fortunate, he will bestow his mercy upon us. Well, we also know <laughs> from everything we read in Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam that that is the only <coughs> desire of those pure unalloyed devotees to distribute mercy. And Lord Chaitanya is what? Namo Mahabhadanaya. He's the most merciful. He's come to give the most mercy. Krishna consciousness is that process by which we can qualify ourselves to become recipients of spiritual mercy that is coming from the Lord's pure devotees. And to receive that mercy, we have to show that this is what we want over and above anything else. Over and above anything else. In the beginning, there's re it requires some real discipline on our part in that we have to follow directions given by the spiritual master to, to give up all those bad habits that we've accumulated. And those bad habits are basically standing between us and becoming recipients of the mercy of the spiritual master. Then, then one would say, well, wow, well, that means that, is it a business arrangement? That I have to do something to receive the mercy of the spiritual master? No. The mercy is there equally. The spiritual master is just like Krishna. We notice in, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, I'm equal to everyone. I, I equally. My mercy is there for everybody. It's, it's, it's not qualified. How does one receive then Krishna's mercy or the mercy of the spiritual master? Because Krishna does say in Bhagavad Gita, all of them, as they surrender unto me, I record, reward accordingly. So what's that mean? Krishna's not choosing. He's equal to all. But then he says, but according to how someone surrenders to me, I treat that individual accordingly. Now let's look at a simple analogy in this regard. If we look at the fact, let's say that we're, we're the son of, of the wealthiest king. So we have everything. It's like built in. You got the castle, you got the servants, you got all the wealth. You, you can do whatever you want. You're the son of the wealthiest king. Uh, no, nothing stands you away from, in your way in life. Nothing. You can get away with murder. <laughs> the king's behind here, you know. So, so what? What really? What really distinguishes the inner relationship between the king and his various sons? Their conduct. There could be a good son and a bad son. The good son knows how to take advantage of the wealth of his father. He doesn't misuse it. He knows how to take advantage of the privilege that comes automatically from his relationship with the father. 
He doesn't misuse it. That's a good son. He's never going to be disowned. In fact, he will in all likelihood rise to the topmost position in government. And if he was the first son, he'll probably be the king himself someday. Another son could be there and simply, although he has the same benefits available to him, could be simply a renegade and simply exploit and simply, well, we know what we've seen all the intrigues through histories of what happens in these royal households by, by uh, you know, an errant son, don't we, have we not? Is the father discriminating? Or is one son taking advantage and one son is not taking advantage of his rightful claim? So similarly, Krishna's relationship with us is like that. And therefore he can say, Ye yatamam prapajante, all of them as they surrender unto me, I reward accordingly. The rewards are available to everyone, but you have to qualify yourself to receive them. Well, what's the qualification? Well, you have to hold out your hands. You can't say, no, you're not my father. <laughs> There's no God, I'm God. How's, that's not going to work. Krishna is trying to give you everything, but unless you can fold your hands and accept it, then what's going to come your way? If we put up the barriers and say, oh, I don't believe in God, then what is the possibility of advancing in spiritual life? It's not going to be available to us. Krishna is equal to everyone. The spiritual master is equally distributing his mercy to all recipients who take shelter of his good instruction. It's equally there for everyone. It's up to us as to how we accept that instruction and how we use it to our spiritual benefit. And if we use properly those instructions coming in disciplic succession, coming from Krishna himself, as given in Bhagavad Gita, coming from the bonafide spiritual master, as we use those instructions properly, then we can advance nicely in our qualification to be the recipients of the Lord's mercy. The only position, the only, and the only, as I said earlier, the spiritual master, Lord Krishna himself, only want the best interest of everyone. They've come and they've made so much available. I mean, what, what interest did Prabhupada have in coming to, to at such an advanced age to the Western world and working tirelessly? Now, one thing about this verse tonight, we read in the purport about the amazing position of Srila Rupa Goswami. We read in the purport about uh, Srila Haridas Thakur basically not eating and sleeping on the highest standard. Uh, we can't falsely imitate those things. But we have to understand what, what kind of activities precipitate that kind of enthusiasm in our devotional service. Earlier, in the Prabhupada's purport to the 14th verse, he quotes that ver the verse from the second chapter, 
which to me is, is so very important in understanding how we become enthused to advance uh, in our spiritual life. Visaya vinivartante, niraha rasya dehina, prasavar jambrasopyasya, paramdristva nivartate. And basically the verse is relating the fact that our advancement in spiritual life is not a forced thing. We can't force ourselves to advance. What we can do is we can conduct our life in such a way that we develop a taste for Krishna consciousness. Force just does not work with the material mind and senses. Generally speaking, they will always defeat us. But if we can use our mind and senses properly by following the direction of the spiritual master, then a relish, a taste, an appreciation for spiritual life will be naturally nurtured. Well, what are you saying? Can I just be lazy and just not even, I don't have to chant my rounds, I don't have to follow the regulations, I don't have to go to the temple, I don't have to associate with devotees, I don't have to chant in kirtan. No, that's not what I'm referring to. We need to avail ourselves of all those opportunities to advance in spiritual life. But what I found, and what you will also find, is it is a lot easier for us to advance in spiritual life by allowing ourselves to develop a taste for the practices of Krishna consciousness than to simply try to take on material austerities that are beyond our capabilities. Well, then does that mean I can draw the line? Well, my capabilities here? So therefore, I like to eat meat too, so I can eat meat. Or I can, I like sex, or I like drugs. Or, so can I do these activities and still advance in spiritual life? No, you can't. But you can't give these things up artificially. You have to give them up with a true desire for spiritual advancement. And then they easily fall away because you're developing a higher taste through spiritual engagement. Does that make sense? In other words, the spiritual master is giving us regulations. There are so many regulations. And of course we have the four basic pillars which are, are the foundation which we build our spiritual advancement upon. Those four regulative principles. Those are the foundation. But to simply be completely immersed in a consciousness of what you can't do and not immersing your consciousness in developing a taste for the practice of Krishna consciousness, it will become a very, very difficult thing. 
And that's why, generally speaking, the whole process of yoga, astanga yoga, except for a very, very small, uh, you know, percentage of, of in this age, as I, I said, it's, it's virtually impossible. Not that there may not be a few yogis on the face of the planet in some high, faraway Himalayan hills. Certainly there are. But generally speaking, uh, it's not possible. Similarly, if we simply concentrate on everything that, that is prohibited, when we, t when we look at the process of Krishna consciousness, then we will, become, we will become frustrated and it will become very difficult. But if we look at developing a higher taste, now how do we do that? We have to, how do we develop that higher taste? Of course you have to give up the unwanted habits. But the higher taste is developed primarily through what activity? Through association. Through association with advanced devotees. They have a taste. So you can see, oh, when they chant, wow, I mean, if we look at a video of Prabhupada when he's chanting, you know, and when he's working and when he's relating and when he's preaching, you can see at every moment he's completely enthralled in the activities of Krishna consciousness. And if you read these verses and purports this week, and I want to remind everyone, this is, this is a process we also need to take advantage of. That if you're coming here every week, please read the next 10 verses, read the purports. That way, it's actually, take advantage of Prabhupada's instructions. How much can we relate in a class? Not very much. We can't even cover 10 verses in the class. But if we take a verse a week, it will take us years to go through Bhagavad Gita. And I think going through it a few times will be to our advantage. But please, do go through it. Do read these verses every week. Do read the purports. And then if there's questions, we can discuss together in Sangha and we can all make advancement and, and fully... Fully understand. So I have a question. When you reach that taste, it stays like that and you just go further or you still can... No, this is, this is transcendental taste. So transcendental taste, you're completely fulfilled, but it's ever increasing that you want more and you're not fully satisfied because you know there's, there's more to be had. It's not anything that we've experienced in this world. In this world, we sit down, we eat our meal, and we're completely satisfied. Oh, I can't eat anymore. I'm full up to the neck. In spiritual life, you're full up to the neck with Krishna, but then there's... Do you want to fill up again? Well, let me try that again. It's not, it's not that there's any satiation. <laughs> Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. He's unlimited in every respect. His interrelationships and loving exchanges with his devotees are always increasing unlimitedly. And their appreciation of those relationships is increasing unlimitedly. And there, you know, it does not, it's nothing that, that we haven't had experience of. And since I haven't had a full experience, I can't relate to you, but let's, let's just say the little experience I've had it's 
There was a song. What was that? Who was that by? It's getting better all the time. Is that the Beatles? Mm-hmm. Huh? Yes. So that's Krishna consciousness. Better, better, better. Not much in Tomity's arrived, so I guess my time of speaking is nearing an end. <laughs> I know, it's not. To that end, we're thinking of having a Bhagavatam class once a week, so as, as you desire, we would like to do that maybe on, a, on Sunday uh, yeah, right. in the morning. Mm. <laughs> early in the morning. <laughs> early, early in the morning. Early in the morning, too. Uh, <laughs> two in the morning yes we can do that no, I'm thinking midday but anyway do you have any questions do you kind of see what I was trying to get across here that that all this yoga practice is definitely advantageous for us in advancing in, in pulling our senses away from those things which have simply kept us in the miseries of material existence just to become happy in life, just like the verse we reviewed tonight, just to become happy in life, to become free of miserably, miseries, we have to restrain our senses. Sense gratification is the source of all misery in material existence. The more we engage our senses and the more we try to enjoy these senses and exploit these senses for sense gratification, the more miserable we're going to be. Without a doubt. We have to come to that realization. Now, of course, all this takes practice. And the more we practice, the easier it becomes. But our practice, and that was the, this is the point I'm trying to get across tonight, our practice is a joyful process. Wow. It's not that we simply restrain, restrain, restrain like the yogi. All of our practice are joyful practice. Now, of course, we're diseased from material existence. Prabhupada uses the analogy of jaundice. When you're a jaundice, when you have the disease of jaundice, the sweetest sugar tastes bitter. But what's this, the remedy to this disease? You have to take sugar. It tastes bitter. What happens? As you take more sugar, you gradually become cured. And that bitter taste becomes again sweet. So similarly, the practice of Krishna consciousness is like that. In the beginning, chanting your rounds every day may be difficult, may be a little bitter. Maybe the mind's doing whatever it wants and it doesn't want to hear. So you chant a little louder and tell it to shut up. <laughs> Maybe the senses want to do some nonsense. Maybe you're thinking, well, let me give, let me, well, of course, in this verse, there, there is that room for some, some relaxation, some recreation. But our recreation, we put that in relationship with Krishna also. We sing and we dance for Krishna. That's the best recreation. This is, this is everlastingly and joyfully performed. Raja Vidya Raja Guyam. This knowledge is the king of education, the most secret of all secrets, the purest knowledge. Because it gives direct perception of the self by realization, it's a perfection of religion. It's everlasting and joyfully performed.
We may not taste the joy in the beginning, but eventually that joyfulness will take us over, as we can see. And the best way, when we're not tasting the joy, well, at least move into an assembly of devotees where the devotees are advanced and they're joyful. Their joy will rub off on you even if you're in a jaundiced position. <laughs> even if it's tasting bitter to you, their tasting of sugar will be passed on. This is not a material thing. So that's why the association of devotees is so very important. Those joyful devotees who are advanced in devotional service carry us through. Any questions, comments, corrections?